podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. It is Tuesday, the 4th of May, and we are brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider that's a virtual privacy network, allows you to go online, change your location, access American Netflix, keep your data safe, all those important things. LibertyShield.com and use the code EPLVPN. You'll get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Right, folks, nine games and plenty of drama to get through, so we'll rattle through. Starting Friday night, Southampton won, Leicester City won. A good game of football, to be fair. Uh, Yannick Vestergaard sent off after 10 minutes. I thought he was unfortunate. He slips. He wins the ball. It's the follow-through that catches Vardy. I thought it was a harsh red card, but off he goes anyway. Leicester, or Southampton rather, had a really good chance before that, but unfortunately Kyle Walker-Peters was ruled offside after a good pass from Vestergaard. Leicester, as you'd expect, it dominated the chances, dominated the possession. 71% possession, 23 shots, 9 on target. But it was Southampton that went one up first. James Ward-Prowse... Uh, with the penalty after his shot was blocked by a stray arm. Good penalty. As usual, you'd expect James uh, James Ward-Prowse to, to slot it home from the penalty spot. He is one of the best set-piece takers in the Premier League. But the lead didn't last long. Johnny Evans with a great header on 68. Leicester had good chances in this game. Southampton had a couple of half-decent chances. I thought Alex McCarthy played really well in goal for Southampton. I thought Salisu, when he came off the bench to replace Vestergaard, I thought he was excellent. I thought he performed really well next to Bednarak, even with Jack Stevens at left back, who doesn't have the pace and was a little bit exposed. I thought Salisu and Bednarak really held that defence together and gave an impressive showing. Obviously, no Danny Ings in the Southampton team either, so they were a little bit blunt in attack, but they had their moments. They played some good football and they get a good point. They get a good point, and that is what's important for them. They are 15th on the table. They're 10 points clear of Fulham. They've got five games left, so they've got a game in hand on Fulham. So, barring a disaster, they should be absolutely fine. Saints have Liverpool away on Saturday. Then they have Crystal Palace at home, Fulham at home, Leeds at home, and then they're away to West Ham. So there's a couple of winnable games there for them. If they beat Fulham, that's it. Job done. They'll be safe. But, like I say, a couple of winnable games. They'll pick up some points. I thought this performance showed a real fighting spirit, a doggedness. The type of thing we saw from them at the end of last season and the beginning of this season, when there was a real group mentality. That kind of had had deserted them in recent weeks, but it seemed to be back in this game. And now, 
hopefully we'll get to see Salisu and Bednarak play a couple of games together because I think that's the partnership they need to build on moving forward. For Leicester, it's a bad result. It's a slip-up. They stay in third. They're two points clear at Chelsea, five clear of West Ham, seven clear at Tottenham, and nine clear of Liverpool. But Liverpool have a game in hand, and Leicester's running is difficult. They have Arsenal next. Sorry, no, I'm wrong. They have Newcastle next. That's a home game. But Newcastle need every point they can get still. They will need to get something from that, that game. Tough game for Leicester. But then Manchester United away. Then the FA Cup final. Then Chelsea away. And then Tottenham home on the last day of the season. Now, if they were to lose that FA Cup final, what sort of after effects will there be from that? Will that cause them to struggle the rest of the season? We have seen in the past though, where teams play a cup final and then play each other a couple of days later that whoever wins the cup final tends to take that second game a little bit easier. So if they do lose the cup final, perhaps they come out and they beat Chelsea at Stamford Bridge a few days later. If they win the cup final, then perhaps it's Chelsea that get the, the easier time in that league game. It might not happen at all. It could well be that the same team wins both games, but that has been a bit of a pattern over the years. It's a very difficult run-in for Leicester, but it's where they would have wanted to be. If you had given them at the start of the season, you'll be third in the league and in the FA Cup final. At this point, they would have snapped your hands up. They've done a tremendous job. Credit to Brendan Rodgers, credit to the players. Um, you, you can't really ask for more if you're a Leicester fan. On to Saturday, Crystal Palace nil. Manchester City 2, fairly straightforward for City. Dominated the game, dominated the chances. Not to say Palace didn't have their moments. Benteke had a good opportunity early on. But Aguero gets the first and Ferran Torres scores two minutes later. Aguero's goal was an absolute peach. Brilliant cross from Mendy. Great first touch. And the second touch puts it into the roof of the net. Brilliant goal. Torres' goal was a nice one as well. Really well disguised. Got the shot away early. Goalkeeper with little chance. Comfortable for City. Run of the mill for City. Um, they won't have expected anything less from this game. They are 13 points clear. Manchester United do have a game in hand. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, City have the league wrapped up. We, we've known that for a long time, but the league is wrapped up. They just need one more win. Or United to drop points and the title is theirs. City's next game's Obviously, the Champions League semi-final second leg. That is tonight. They're 2-1 up against PSG. It looks like Mbappe could miss out. So that's a big boost for City. But that was where their focus has been. You could tell by the lineup that Pep put out. Uh, two left-footed centre-backs. I know Mr. Drinkle was not too impressed, and neither were many others. I love it. I, I love seeing two left-footed centre-backs. I think it's wonderful. Uh, they've got Chelsea at home next in the league. Then Newcastle away. Brighton away, and then Manchester City versus Everton on the final day, and Everton traditionally do roll over at the Etihad. Uh, Guy thinks City should be docked points for playing two left-footed centre-backs. No, no. All the left-footers. Give me left-footed right-backs and all sorts. Um, For Palace, look, they're 13th. It's about the Hodgy position in the table. They've got five games left. He normally wants 43 to 45 points. So he's, you know, five to seven points shy on that at the moment. Coming up for them, Sheffield United away. That's a winnable game. 
Southampton away will be difficult. Villa at home, you just don't know with Villa. They're very inconsistent. Arsenal at home, same thing applies. And then Liverpool away on the final day of the season. You'd expect them to beat Sheffield United and pick up, you know, a couple of points in those other games, especially the two home games, Villa and Arsenal. That'll get them to where Hodgie wants them to be and he'll be delighted. Uh, I assume we're witnessing the last days of Roy Hodgson as a Premier League manager. Um, I don't think Palace should let him leave. I think they should move him upstairs, put him in a director's role. I don't think you want that footballing knowledge just walking out the door, but I do think it's time to move on in terms of a manager. Um, Next game on Saturday then was a Brighton against Leeds, a 2-0 win for Brighton. Good performance. I thought Leeds played well as well, but I thought Brighton played really well. Uh, Credit to him, Danny Welbeck, very good performance. Makes the first goal, winning the penalty, Pascal Gross. Uh, dispatches it past Melier. Melier had already made one good save up to that point from uh, Trossard. As you'd expect, Leeds played Leeds football, but Brighton's style of play is a really good antidote for what Leeds do because they're so measured, so meticulous, because of how they defend. They didn't give Leeds much in the way of openings. Leeds only had two shots on target in the whole game, despite nearly 60% of the ball. But Brighton, when they got the ball, when they got into the right areas, were very, very clinical. Welbeck's second goal is probably the best goal he's ever scored in his life. Brilliant first touch to turn away from the defenders and a great left-footed finish. Brighton, full value for their 2-0 win. Absolutely full value for the 2-0 win. And that shoves them right the way up the table. They're into 14th now. 10 points clear of Fulham. You have to imagine that that's bright and safe, which is good. Um, I'd like to see them, you know, keep pushing on. There's no reason they can't overcome Crystal Palace. Their run-in is Wolves away. Not the toughest game. Wolves have been very, very poor this season. Then they get West Ham at home. That one will be tough. Then Man City at home. And then Arsenal away on the last day of the season. And you just don't know what Arsenal, Jekyll and Hyde team... But I think there's definitely, you know, five to seven points there that Brighton could get. I could see them beating Wolves. A draw against West Ham wouldn't surprise me. And you could see them beating Arsenal or at least getting the draw. Wouldn't expect too much from the game against City. But it is at home and City will have the the title wrapped up and could well be preparing for a Champions League final. So City might not have much interest in that game at all. I think Brighton have done relatively well this season considering the lack of investment, considering the lack of a goal scorer, staying in the Premier League is uh, another good notch for Graham Potter. But they should have been better. That's what it comes down to. They should have been better. For Leeds, 11th in the table. They're very comfortable in mid-table. No risk. No chance of anything bad happening to them. They're going to be thrilled. They've got Tottenham next at home. Then they go to Burnley, Southampton away, and then West Brom at home. So, Again, some winnable games there, some games they'll fancy. They'll definitely fancy that West Brom game, but I think they'll fancy Tottenham at home as well. Um, they're unbeaten at home to the top six, the, the, big, the big six this year. So that, that's one I think they'll, they'll definitely have their eye on. And it wouldn't surprise you if they went to Burnley and won either. Um, continuing on with Saturday then, uh, the West London derby. Chelsea 2, Fulham 0. Kai Havertz with two goals. Kai Havertz playing as a false nine, working wonders. 
I thought he was excellent. His movement, his touch, his passing, his creativity, his inventiveness, really, really good, and two really good finishes. Played up front with Zayic kind of just off, and then Timo Werner more as a partner. Werner is so funny because his finishing has obviously let him down badly this season, but like his movement, his passing, the way he uses the ball, the way he uses his body to shield the ball, you can see why there was so much hype around him. You can see why a lot of clubs did did have interest in him. I think the goals will come next season. I think there's a lot of promise there in that Werner Pulisic Havertz front three that could be. Uh, Mason Mount from midfield, again, very, very good. Unfortunate um, not to not to have a couple of assists in this game, I thought, Mason Mount. Um, Chelsea are building something. I really do believe that. I think they've got the right wing backs in James and Chilwell. If they could get, I know he's the popular name for them, but if they could get a Declan Rice type to sit in midfield with Mount and let Mount go and be the attacking one, I think that across the centre of the park would be excellent. James, a Rice type, Mount and Chilwell, all young, all talented, all hardworking. I I think that could be the future for them. And at the back, I mean, Silva made a couple of mistakes, but all in, you know, by and large, he was pretty good in this game. Christensen played well. Uh, Zuma, a little bit rash, got himself booked, but he's been in and out of the team and he's not as comfortable playing on the left side as he is on the right side or in that central role. But you have to be very, very impressed with what Tuchel has done since taking over with Chelsea and how he's turned them around. FA Cup final, Champions League semi-final this week. And of course, they're fourth in the league now as well. Uh, their next run of games, obviously the Champions League semi-final is tomorrow night for them at home to Real Madrid. 1-1. After the first leg, looks like Varane is out, but Ramos could be back for Real. That's probably a double blow for Real. I think Chelsea have to be favoured to go through, and I think it's looking like an all-English final is, is a strong possibility. Their league running is difficult, though. They've got Man City away, then they've got Arsenal at home, then they've got the FA Cup final, then they get Leicester again. And then Villa away on the last day of the season. So no really easy games. And remember, you could look at that Arsenal game and say, well, that's a game they'll win. But it was against Chelsea that Arsenal sort of turned their season around early on in back in December. And Villa, it just it all depends on on what Villa turn up on a day. And Grealish could well be back by that point if he has gotten over the, the shin splints. So top four not cut and dry just yet. But really good chance of it. Really good chance of silverware at the FA Cup and, and they're still in the Champions League. So all things considered, a great job by Tuchel. Um, he, if, if it wasn't for Moyes doing such a great job, I think Tuchel would have a real, a real shot at manager of the year, even though he's only managed half the season. Given where they were, given how he's turned them around and how they underperformed under Lampard, I really think you have to look at Tuchel and say that is a tremendous job. And... And it's a, a kind of a slap in the face to those that said, you know, he's a fraud, he's this, he's that. The guy's a great manager. He, he may fall out with people, but you can't argue with the results he gets or his methodology. He is a very, very good manager. Um, Fulham looked on. They're nine points behind Newcastle and Burnley with four games to go. 
Now, they do have that Newcastle game on the final day of the season, but it would require them winning the next three and Newcastle losing the next three for that game to become worthwhile. They have Burnley next. Lose that, they're done. Then Southampton. Lose that, they're done. Then they go to Old Trafford. And that's going to be a tough one. United have turned their home form around. United will expect the three points. And then that final game against Newcastle. Unfortunately, Fulham, it is the championship life for you. Um, it's unfortunate, but that's what it is. That is just what it is. You're, you're going down. And the only person you have to blame is that manager. Scotty Twocoats has done a dreadful job. An absolutely shocking job this season. With that much talent to perform like that. Shocking. Absolutely shocking. But not not unexpected. Um, final game on Saturday then was Everton 1, Aston Villa 2. This was a, a good game of football like I thought it would be. And like I pr- predicted, I, I don't know how many I got right. I got a couple right this weekend. I definitely got City right. I got Brighton right. I got Chelsea right. I got this one right. I think I got. I think I predicted a draw between Newcastle and Arsenal. I got more right than I got wrong. That's about all I all I can remember. But I did say I thought Villa would win this one because Everton's home form is an abomination, an absolute abomination. Ollie Watkins put Villa one up. Bad mistake by Mason Holgate. Uh, uncharacteristic of him. Slipped while turning, and uh, gifted the ball to Ollie Watkins, who'd done really well to press him. And uh, Watkins finished past Tiny Arms, no problem. Good finish, good goal. Calvert-Lewin made it 1-1 six minutes later. Really good header at the back post. You could could maybe question the Villa defending on the set piece, but Calvert-Lewin's so good in the air. He's so aggressive the way he attacks the ball. He really has just blossomed under Carlo. Gets himself in perfect positions. And his heading ability is second to none. Fairly tight game from there. Possession was fairly easy. Shots, you know, fairly equal. Pickford definitely had the harder saves to make. Everton's shooting was a little bit wayward. But Martinez was forced into a couple of saves. Pickford made a couple of really good saves to his credit. But he could do very little to keep out a great goal by Anwar Al-Ghazi in the 80th minute. Lovely shot. Bends round into the top corner. Very, very good finish. And Villa, worthy of the three points. It was a good game. If it had been a draw, it would have been fair. But if either team had won, I don't think the other would have complained. Villa get the win. They move up one spot in the league into 10th. So back in the top half. They still have that game in hand to come against Everton at Villa Park. So they have Manchester United at home next. That's on Sunday. Then Everton. Then they're away to Palace. Away to Tottenham. And then at home to Chelsea on the final day. So tough games. Tough games. But there's definitely some points there to be had. Especially getting Everton at home. There's potential there. Now their home record's not great. They've got United, Everton and Chelsea at home. They'll want to take at least three points between those three games. Away to Palace, away to Tottenham. Again, not easy, but not the most difficult of games because you just don't know. With Tottenham are another one of these Jekyll and Hyde teams that you just don't know what you're going to get from them. Half the league is like that at the moment, if not more. Uh, for Everton, they're eighth. They've missed yet another opportunity to go above Liverpool. 
Um, they have West Ham away next, then the, the game at Villa, then Sheffield United at home, Wolves at home, and then away to Man City. You would expect them to beat Sheffield United and Wolves at home, but their home form has been so bad that you just don't know. I predicted they'll beat Villa away. I think they will because, again, Villa's home form, not particularly good. So there's definitely points there for Everton. The season's not over for them. They've still got stuff to play for. They can still get themselves into the Europa Conference League, which, look, European football is European football. I know the competition's a bit silly. I know we've disparaged it, but at the same time, get yourself into Europe. It will help you attract more players. You've already got Carlo. Stop with the shenanigans about Carlo out. He's the best thing your club has ever done. Uh, Well, not the best thing your club has ever done, but he's the best thing you've done in 25 years. Let's put it like that. Um, Everton fans shouldn't be happy with the season, but they shouldn't be too downhearted either. Because if the injuries hadn't been as bad, like James has missed a lot of the season. Dinya missed some of the season. Alan missed a lot of the season. They've had problems, obviously, with Decore of late. Calvert-Lewin missed a bunch of games. Richarlison missed some games. They've just never really been able to play their best 11. We haven't seen uh, Godfrey and Holgate get enough of a run together. They played at at, at the weekend, obviously, and they lost. But it's early days for that pairing. But that is a pairing you can build something with. I really believe it is a pairing you can build something with. I think a better goalkeeper, a new right back, one more in midfield, Bring uh, Moise Kian back, and I think you've got something. I don't know what it is, but you've got something there to build with. You've got Gabaman to come back into the mix in midfield eventually, hopefully for his sake and for Everton's sake next season, that poor lad gets a run of games without getting hurt. Uh, Into Sunday then, and this is where the drama starts. So, Arsenal 2, Newcastle 0 up at St. James's. Fairly run-of-the-mill game. Arsenal comfortable. Newcastle not offering a whole bunch. Elneny scores after six minutes. I thought Dubravka should have saved it. Decent shot, but Dubravka got enough of a hand on it that he should have saved it. Aubameyang makes it 2-0. Good work from Odegaard. Plays it out wide. Martinelli with the cross on his left foot. And Aubameyang finishes nicely. The fifth game in a row that he has scored against... Newcastle. So while he's had a bad season, he loves scoring against Newcastle. Fabian Schaar sent off late. Uh, Newcastle, still work to do. No question, still work to do. They are 17th. They're nine points clear of, of Fulham, so it's not a lot of work left. Not a whole bunch left, but they've still got to, you know, pick up a couple of points. They've got Leicester away next. Leicester's form is a little bit iffy. Then they get City at home. You wouldn't expect a whole bunch of much. But then they get Sheffield United at home. That's a game they have to win. Regardless of anything else, you have to win that game. And then Fulham on the last day. Make sure you go into that game with nothing on the line. Whatever you do, make sure you go into that game with nothing on the line. If all else fails, just focus in on that Sheffield United game. Focus in on beating them at St. James's and making sure you're in the Premier League next season. That's the main thing that matters. The other game that did get played on Sunday, Tottenham 4, Sheffield United 0. Gareth Bale with a hat-trick. 
really good hat-trick, all good goals. Sheffield United's defence was just nowhere to be seen. Youngman's son made it four. If Gareth Bale played like that regularly, he'd still be a great player. This is far too infrequent. He showed the talent he still has, the finishing ability. It'll be interesting to see if Tottenham want to keep him. It'll obviously depend on who the new manager is. But when he's fitting in the mood, him with Kane and Son, that is a terrifying combination. Kane and Son are one of, I think, only are two of, I think, only four players in the Premier League with 10 goals, 10 assists this season. So that shows how good they are. And we know how good Bale can be when he's engaged. And he looked engaged the weekend, scored three really good goals, looked lively, looked really locked in on things. Dominant performance by Tottenham. The Blades, I mean, they've given up. That, that, that After the first goal went in, they just looked like a team that didn't really want to be there anymore. Um, they're gone, obviously. We know that. They're the only team officially relegated at the moment. They have Palace at home, Everton away, Newcastle away, Burnley at home. They could still get a couple of wins. Those two home games, they're, they're winnable games. Burnley are, are you know up and down. Palace are inconsistent. The away games, again, they're not, they're not difficult teams. Everton are poor at home. Everton are a much better team than them, but they're poor at home. Newcastle are a better team, not much better. But again, they're not the best at home. So there would be an opportunity there for them to pick up a few points at least. They've got 27 defeats. The Premier League record is 29. You're probably going to equal it. At this point, you're probably going to equal it. It would be surprising if they only lost one of the four. But try not to try not to get worse than it. Try not to hit the 30. That would be that would be a little bit much. 30 defeats out of 38 games is fairly shocking, no matter who you are. Um, for Tottenham, sixth in the table, two points off West Ham in fifth, five off Chelsea in fourth. They have Leeds away, Wolves at home, Villa at home, and then Leicester on the last day. If they could win their next three, then that last day could become really interesting. Because Leicester's run to that that point is tough. So that could be an interesting one. Monday then, there was two games. West Brom won, Wolves won. The type of game you'd expect. A little bit stodgy. Wolves played some good stuff at times. Vitania looked lively, looked inventive as a 10. Fabio Silva put them 1-0 up. A lot of luck involved in the goal. His shot hit a defender, hit him again. Looped over the keeper. I'm not sure I would have celebrated it quite as exuberantly as he did, but credit to him, he got himself a goal. Um, and as a young player, it, you know, it's huge. He's, he's living with the price tag. He's living with the expectation. Living with how to fill Raul Jimenez's shoes. Celebrate every goal as if it could be your last. West Brom equalized through Diania on 62. It had been coming. They had been creating chances. Pereira had really come into the game and was looking lively. Diania with a nice finish. And the game just sort of petered out from there. Um, Rui Patricio made a couple of good saves throughout the game. Sam Johnson the same with the other end. It was a decent game of football. It wasn't anything to get too excited about. Final game then. Burnley won. West Ham 2 Burnley went 1-0 up. Chris Wood with a penalty after 19. All his own work. Beat the up and then got pulled down by Suchek. 
gets up, scores himself, his seventh goal of his career against West Ham. He does like scoring against them. The lead lasted only two minutes. Mikel Antonio with, I can't remember which goal is which. He scored two. One was a header, one was a tap-in. Either way, Antonio in the 21st and 29th minute. And that was kind of it. West Ham had most of the ball, as you'd expect, most of the shots, as you'd expect. Vidra had a good opportunity that he almost scored from, uh, cleared off the line by Craig Dawson. Antonio almost got himself a hat-trick. Ben Rama was really good. The second goal was the header from the Ben Rama cross. No, the second goal was the tap-in from the Ben Rama cross. The first one was the header. Uh, ben Rama, I thought, was really good. If Ben Rama learns to shoot, he'll be a big asset for West Ham next season. If he learns to shoot, he'll be a big asset. I was really impressed to see how attack-minded Moyes was. Went with Suchek and Lanzini as a central midfield pairing. Lanzini couldn't tackle a good dinner, but he's inventive. He's a good pass with the ball. He's a good dribbler. And then he had Fornals, Lingard, and Ben Rama behind Antonio, Bowen off the bench. Very, very attack-minded. Credit to him. And two attacking fullbacks as well, and Kufal, or Sufal and uh, Cresswell. So, all credit to Moyes. He really went for this one. Uh, they're fifth in the table. They're three points behind West, uh, behind Chelsea, rather. Their run-in is Everton at home, Brighton away, West Brom away, and Southampton at home. They're all winnable games for West Ham. They're all games West Ham could win. You would say three of them, Brighton, West Brom, and Southampton are games they should win. And with West, with, with Everton being at home, again, maybe they should win that game. So they're right in the mix. European football looks a near certainty for them with that run-in. They're going to be very, very happy. For Burnley, they won't be happy. They'll be their 16th. They are nine points clear. They have Fulham next away. Look, get a draw and you're safe. That's all that matters. Get a draw and you're safe. Get a draw and it's over. It's over for Fulham. That's all you need. Get a draw and Fulham are gone and you're safe. Um, then they get Leeds at home, Liverpool at home, and then Sheffield United away on the final day. So look, bottom line, they've got two games, both away, admittedly, but both but two games where they should pick up points, Fulham and Sheffield United. And that should be more than enough. And with Leeds and Liverpool being at home, you never know. Turf Moor is not the hardest place to go, despite the myth. The top teams do tend to do well there. But you wonder how Dyche Ball against Bielsa Ball uh, would play out in that kind of situation. Early in the season, Bielsa overcame Dyche 1-0 win for Leeds back in December. An early Bamford goal, but that was the game where Burnley got slightly robbed. So... It was a fairly even game, fairly even contest, even possession, even shots. Burnley got robbed. So, you know, it's not it's not done and dusted for them. Right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about why there were only nine games this weekend. See you in a bit. Right, welcome back. Okay. So, there were nine games this weekend. There were ten scheduled, and of course, one was postponed. Manchester United were due to play Liverpool at 4.30 on 
Sunday, Manchester United fans protesting the ownership caused the game to be postponed. Initially, it was delayed. Then it got postponed. And we still have no idea when the game is going to be replayed, if it's going to be played at all. Uh, The rules of the FA do state that what should happen is that Manchester United should be docked three points and a 3-0 victory should be given to Liverpool because United were unable to fulfil the fixture. However, I don't think anyone really wants that as an outcome because that punishes the players of Manchester United. It punishes Manchester United as as, as a group of players and a manager and whatever else. It doesn't punish the club so much because they're going to get second regardless. United are going to be second regardless. Even with a three-point deduction, to be fair, they'd only be one point clear. They'd only be one point clear of Leicester. So, yeah, I mean, that would be a big punishment. (laughs) I didn't think it was that close, but it is. Um, Look, I took a break from social media over the weekend as part of the blackout, so I I didn't tweet any thoughts on, on the protest or anything. I did have a bunch of people tweet me, ask me about it, a few few people DM me. I read a lot of what people were saying. And I I find it difficult to take a real proper stance on this. First and foremost, let me say that fans absolutely have the right to protest. I do support protests. However, it should also be pointed out that a large number of fans took it beyond the point of protest. And beyond the point of legality and stepped into criminality. There was damage caused to a number of doors and windows at Old Trafford. They broke into the stadium. They got onto the pitch. They damaged some seats. They threw bottles. They threw flares. Some idiot threw a camera. They threw stuff at the gantry where the pundits were sitting trying to do their job, uh, more on them. So those people I, I don't have any agreement with at all. They, they've just gone way too far for me. The people that organized the protest organized it to be peaceful. They organized the protest against the ownership, not against the European Super League. The European Super League may have been a tipping point, but United fans have been protesting these owners for over a decade, and rightly so in many ways, because these owners bought United with a loan and then leveraged that loan onto the club, loading the club with debt. They have since taken around about a billion to 1.2 billion pounds out of the club in in terms of dividends to themselves and also the financing of this loan, the maintenance of the loan interest payments, loan repayments, and yet their debt still sits at about 700 million, which is more than they bought the club for, it's worth pointing out. The club have fallen from the pedestal that they were on. Obviously, under the Glazers, they have had success. They've won multiple league titles. They've won a Champions League. And even since Alex Ferguson left, they've won an FA Cup, a League Cup, a Europa League, and they're in the final. Well, they're as good as in the final of this year's Europa League. So there has been success, not 
not success to the level that Manchester United fans would want or demand. But I don't think, for the most part, any of this was to do with <clears throat> with success. I think it's to do with how the Glazers have used United as a cash cow. Understandably, can I can absolutely see why they'd be annoyed at that. Certainly, the loading on of debt—that's that's shameful. Liverpool went through the same thing with the Glazers, or with with Hicks and Gillette rather. Um, the fact that Old Trafford itself, the the stadium, has fallen into a state of disrepair. There's a very large hole in the roof, and when it rains, you can see what looks like a waterfall coming through the the roof of Old Trafford. Those type of things have really, really gotten to United fans, match-going fans who don't enjoy the experience of going to the game anymore. So those people, I absolutely empathize with. Those people I support in their protests. What I will say is, it won't have any difference. It will make no difference because these people don't care. Liverpool fans protested Hicks and Gillette for years. It made no difference. The only thing that got them out was the banks. And as long as the Glazers continue to make the interest payments and the loan repayments, the banks will not touch them because the banks are making an absolute fortune of Manchester United's debt. An absolute fortune. So they they don't want the Glazers out. The other problem is, who's going to buy United? Manchester United is worth somewhere between four and five billion pounds. Add to that, the Glazers will want whoever takes over the club to take on the debt. Because the debt is not to them, the debt is now to Manchester United. So you're talking about another 750 million. So you're talking somewhere in the, you know, five to six billion range to buy Manchester United. There are a handful of people in the world that could afford that. And let's be honest. The ones that would be acceptable would be no better than the Glazers because they would only see it as an investment. The ones who you don't want are the ones who would use it as a plaything. Similar to Roman, similar to the boys of PSG, Citigroup. They don't care about your club. It's a plaything to them. It's a billionaire's plaything. And there are other things that factor in, such as you know human rights and the other violations that take place in the countries where some of these people come from. Is that really what you want for your club? I mean, United fans have spent the last decade disparaging City for being new money. So I'm assuming United fans don't want new money. I know that the majority of Liverpool fans don't want new money either. Liverpool don't have the same issue as United. They don't have bad owners. Whatever you think about Fenway Sports Group, they're not bad owners. They might not be perfect owners. They might not be wealthy enough for what you want. They might not put enough money into the club for your liking. But Fenway Sports Group are not bad owners. They have maintained and improved Anfield. They have built a new training ground. They have made correct decisions from a footballing standpoint. Took them a while to get there, but eventually they did. The Glazers haven't done that. The Glazers have looked at United. Liverpool's model is success in the field will bring success off the field. United's model is 
success off the field is all that matters. We don't care what happens on the field. As long as we're in the Champions League, we're fine because we're Manchester United and our brand will bring in the commercial partners. So Liverpool and United are not the same. Arsenal and United will be more similar. Kroenke is not quite as bad as the Glazers in that he hasn't burdened the club with a bunch of debt. He's less interested in the club than the Glazers, but he's got a lot more interests in America, whereas the Glazers, they've got the Buccaneers, and that's kind of it. Kroenke has the Nuggets, the Rams, you know, the Colorado Avalanche. He is the uh, Colorado Rapids. He's got a bunch of different, um, a bunch of different interests. The Glazers don't have that excuse. Now, this all unfolded as we watched on Sky, and I thought Sky as a whole were shocking in their coverage of this. Uh, Dave Jones looking not nearly as smooth without having everything scripted for him, trying to do things on the fly, stumbled and bumbled, made some rather strange statements. Carragher, uh, pure company man, complete sellout. We've known that for a long time, though. This is the guy who took the contract from Hicks and Gillette as Liverpool barreled towards administration. Pure company man, won't speak out. Um, Neville is the biggest hypocrite going. Uh, Gary Neville has blood on his hands at the moment. The police officers that were attacked, that's the other thing I forgot to mention, the police officers that were attacked and injured by the idiots who broke into the stadium and decided to cause damage, not the people protesting. They're different. The people that protested outside, they're different. They were protesting. These were idiots there to cause trouble. These idiots broke in. They caused trouble. They assaulted police. One of them got badly slashed in the face. Gary Neville stoked this. Gary Neville told fans to target this game for protest. Gary Neville went on to call it a peaceful protest. As we could clearly see, it was not a peaceful protest. Inside the stadium. Outside, fine. Inside, no. Gary Neville claimed this was about the Super League. It wasn't. But Gary Neville wants you to think that the Super League was the root of all evil. Because remember, Gary Neville was a company man for the Glazers. Never said a word about them for 15 years. Happily took their money. Happily took land off them on the cheap. Happily kissed all the right backsides when brought for cocktails. Happily stays in the pocket of Peter Lim. Happily takes money from Rupert Murdoch. Gary Neville is a scumbag. And I'm happy to say it. Gary Neville should be ashamed of himself today. And yesterday. Gary Neville caused a lot of this problems. Gary Neville was the one that said all fans should unite. And then when talking about it, Gary Neville tried to turn this around on Liverpool. Gary Neville didn't want the blame going towards Manchester United. He tried to redeflect everything. He attacked Liverpool Football Club. And Jamie Carragher sat there and nodded along like a little dog. Because that's what Carragher and Neville do. If you take your lead from them, I'm sorry, I can't relate to you. I really don't know what to tell you. But Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher are not the people you should be listening to about this. 
supporters organizations they're the people you should listen to you should take no word from Lineker, from from Neville from Carragher from Lineker from any of these people at face value Gary Neville it turns out created a WhatsApp group so that all the pundits could get their ducks in a row and keep the same message going against the Super League. Why? Because Sky and BT don't want the Super League. Because Sky and BT are afraid of what the Super League would mean to their TV rights. Because Sky and BT weren't invited to the big table. If they had been, if the Super League had approached Sky and BT early on and said, look, we want you as part of this, the message from Neville, the message from Carragher, from Lineker, from Ferdinand, from all of these hypocrites would be very, very different. Different. Gary Lineker said Jurgen Klopp was tone deaf when he said people should calm down because they were stoking things. Well, Jurgen Klopp was right. They were stoking things and look what happened. A stadium was damaged. A policeman was assaulted. Multiple policemen were assaulted. Multiple people were injured. Multiple arrests were made because of the rhetoric of Gary Neville, Jamie Carragher, Gary Lineker, Rio Ferdinand. Rio Ferdinand, the guy that told Newcastle fans to shut up and like it. The guy that told Newcastle fans, if they didn't like Mike Ashley, to get together with their mates, have a whip around and buy the club. That Rio Ferdinand, who wants to save football. That Gary Lineker, who wants to save football. Gary Lineker is worth 30 million. You think he cares about you? Neville financially dopes his own football club and brings them up through the lower leagues. He's paying players 10 grand a week to play in the national conference. You think he cares about you? You think as he sits by and watches Peter Lim destroy Valencia, he cares about football fans? Carragher took a contract. Carragher got a manager sacked. Had him replaced with a manager he liked. Carragher spat at a child. You think he's a guy you want to take ethics lessons from? Really? Carragher wrote a column for the Daily Mail. These are not people to listen to. Neither am I. I'm just giving you my opinion, but they're not people to listen to. I support wholeheartedly Manchester United fans' right to protest, and I think every Liverpool fan does. What you cannot support is the violence, is the destruction of private property. You can't support that. I'm sorry, you just can't. Because that crosses a boundary, that crosses a line. Now, I don't think United should be docked three points. I don't think Liverpool should be given a 3-0 win. I won't argue. If it happens as a Liverpool fan, I'll be quite happy with that because that's not a game I want to play right now. But that is that is potentially what will happen. United's schedule doesn't leave much of an opening for anything else. They've got Roma on Thursday. Then they've got Villa three days later. Leicester three days after that. There's a gap between... Um, the Leicester game and the Fulham game, but that's the FA Cup final weekend. That's the only game that should be on. And then they've got Wolves. You know, so they don't have any real time. Liverpool have Southampton. Then they have West Brom. Then they have Burnley. And then Crystal Palace. There's no real time to fit, fit that fixture in. If they weren't going to do it on Monday, I'm not sure when it can happen. Now, there is... Things you should criticise Manchester United for. They knew the protest was happening. 
and they put barriers out. There should have been a far greater police presence early on. It took the police quite a long time to mobilise the right numbers to disperse the crowd. So United should have done more to prevent this. So maybe that's what they should be punished for. But again, I'm not going to call for a three-point deduction and a, a walkover win for Liverpool. Uh, I don't think those are you know are necessary. But if there's no way to fill the fi- fill this the fixture in, what do you do? It has to be played before the 23rd of May. Has to be. That's the final day of the season. You can't have a game run after that. So I don't know when they fit it in. I don't know how they fit it in. There's already, you know, four four league games to be played in those 19 days. And United have a Europa League semi-final and potentially a final then to follow that. So I don't know where you'd fit it in. It may well be that that's what has to happen. Maybe they don't dock them points. Maybe they just give Liverpool the the win. I don't know. But we still haven't heard a proper statement from the, the FA or the Premier League about what they're going to do. They're going to hold an investigation. Right, okay. We'll await that with bated breath. I would say, I think all fans should sympathise with United fans. I've said before, I think the Premier League is is better when United are really good. I do think the Glazers are bad owners. Neville said something, though, that really didn't sit well with me. He said, he said a lot of things didn't sit well with me. He said that they couldn't afford to run the club. Now, what he meant was they couldn't afford to run the club the way he wants them to run the club to compete at the highest level. Because Neville wasn't complaining when they were spending hundreds of million. You know, but last summer they only spent 55 million. This summer there's rumours that if they get top four, they'll only spend around the same. But when they were spending 135 million on average defenders, when they were spending 90 million on Pogba, when, you know, they've spent like 700 million or something since Ferguson retired. In eight years, it's it's a lot of money. Like they they haven't been short of money. He didn't complain when they were spending money under Ferguson and winning titles and and winning Champions League. So there is definitely part of their fan base, and Neville is one of them. That that's their gripe. Not anything else. That's their gripe that they don't compete with City, and that Liverpool have won the league. That's what their gripe is. Neville never opened his mouth until Liverpool won a league title. Um. They're, those aren't the issues. The issue is the fact they've loaded the club with debt, the fact that they've failed to maintain the stadium, they've failed to maintain the training ground, which by all accounts has gotten a little run down. Those are issues. Those are real issues. The fact that they've made the club inaccessible for a lot of fans, they've taken the club from the fans, but they weren't the ones that did that originally. Sky did that. So focus your anger in the right place. I agree the Glazers are not good for Manchester United, but I don't see a way to get them out, unless the banks call in those loans. There's no way to force them out. There's no mechanism to force them out. 50 plus 1 is not an option. There's a bunch of people walking around with some pre-made signs um, saying 50 plus 1. Look into it. It's not It's not an option. It's The un- misunderstanding of 50 plus 1 really is staggering. And we could really do with having Sky, have someone come on the air and explain the 50 plus 1 rule, how it came about in Germany, and what it has created in Germany, which is a one-team league. So... I think it's it's fair to say protest good, criminality bad, 
Don't listen to Neville. Don't listen to Carragher. Souness made more good points than the rest of them, but he, he kind of spoiled it with some of the other things he said. Uh, and then the the claims that they could have been killed. This slight over-exaggeration, Graham. Um, but I thought Sky's coverage was was a disgrace. I saw And I saw some people try and defend Carragher, Liverpool-based people, try and defend Carragher, um, probably because they want to be his friend uh, and think that by kissing his backside, he'll be their buddy. But Carragher was just as bad as the rest of them. Neville was a disgrace. Jones was awful. Keane was poor. Uh, Souness, I, I thought, was the best of a bad bunch, but Carragher was just as bad as the rest. Sitting there while Neville berated Liverpool Football Club and not pushing back on it at all, and not asking why Gary was trying to make a Manchester United fan protest about Liverpool was very, very strange. I think... I think United fans should continue to protest, but I think they have to find more measured ways to do it. And I think protests, especially at this moment, are a little bit futile because the stadiums are going to be empty anyway. You'd be better off mobilising and trying to go into next season with an actual plan of how you're going to protest and what you're going to do. Now, whether that's walking out of games, whether that's not showing up for games... The problem is you're still going to have to buy your tickets because if you don't buy your tickets, the club will just resell them and there will always, always, always be someone else ready to take that seat. There will always be someone else. And that's the Glazers' motto. There will always be someone else. Someone else will come along and fill that seat. So you have to pay for your seat to then not sit in it. That's the decision you have to make. But I do think United fans, if they want to do this properly, if they really want to go about it the right way, they need to organise this for next season, not this season. Focus on next season and focus on being in it for the long game. Liverpool fans were in it for the long game. It didn't have any effect. Some might claim it did, it didn't. The banks got rid of Hicks and Gillette, nobody else. Glazers don't have that problem, so I, I don't see a way out of it. But you can absolutely protest, and you should protest. Um, we'll wrap up with some gossip and some news coming out of Italy that Jose Mourinho, a little bit of disappointment in Mourinho, actually, before I go on to him, in that he signed up for uh, columns with like outlets that he really should not be associating himself with. But AS Roma have announced that Jose Mourinho has signed a contract to take over in the summer until June of 2024. So a three-year deal for Mourinho with Roma. Wasn't out of work very long. I think it's a good job for him. I think it's the type of job that he can, as long as they back him, and that's going to be the big thing, but there are there are good players at Roma that I think he will work well with. When you consider goalkeeper, I wouldn't be overly keen. But defensively, Roger Ibanez is very good. Marash Kambula has massive potential. Chris Smalling he knows well from um, from when they were together at United. Gianluca Mancini is a solid centre back, so he's got centre backs he can work with. He's got Pellegrini in midfield, who's excellent. Amadou Diawara, who's got big potential. 
needs to start showing it a bit more consistently, but a good player. He'll have Zaniolo back all going well. Eden's echo may well still be there. There's a lot of good players in that Roma team. They do need to get younger. They need to add probably three or four players. If they back Mourinho, he'll do well there. I don't think he'll win the league with them. It's a bit of a strange job for Mourinho to take. Um, Sarri had been linked heavily. It turns out he he's looking to do something else. I wonder if maybe the Spurs job is is for Sarri. But um, yeah, Roma have made this decision to move on from Fonseca. And uh, Mourinho it is. Leicester and Everton are among a host of clubs preparing to make bids for Ivan Toney. Very good player. I think he'd be a better fit for Leicester than he would for Everton. Not sure he'd work well with Calvert-Lewin, but I do think he could work with either Vardy or Iheanacho, so he'd be a good fit there. Um, Daniel Levy will give the club's next manager the option of re-signing Gareth Bale on loan. They have that option in the initial deal to bring him back for second season. Borussia Dortmund will let England international Jadon Sancho leave the club for £87 million, having previously demanded more than £100 million for the midfielder. The 21-year-old has been linked with Liverpool and Manchester United. Dortmund have made it clear that they will not sell Erling Haaland, who's been linked with United, Liverpool, City, Chelsea, Barcelona, and pretty much every other club going. Newcastle and Italian club Atalanta have shown serious interest in Vitas Arnhem's 22-year-old Dutch defender, Danilo Doiki, who has been linked with Norwich, Fulham and Rangers. Decent defender. I don't think he's... Uh, I don't think he's Atalanta quality. For Norwich, Fulham and Newcastle, he'll be in the, you know, Fulham will be in the championship. They won't get him. But for Norwich and Newcastle, I think he'd be a fine signing. Good signing for Rangers. Um, Robert Lewandowski's agent, Pini Zahivi, is set to put pressure on Bayern Munich to either give him a, a lucrative new deal or sell him to a club that can afford him, with the Premier League cited as the likely destination for the prolific goal scorer, I would bet he stays put. I don't think we will see Lewandowski leave, and he will be 33 just after the next season kicks off. I don't know who is going to pay big money to bring him into the Premier League. You could see it's more of a Serie A type of thing to bring in a player of that age for big money. Premier League-bound Watford have made contact with Ashley Young, but a potential return to Vicarage Road where he started his career. I'd love to see Ashley Young back at Watford. I would. I think it'd be a nice, a nice way for him to finish up his career. Arsenal are interested in Rangers and Finland midfielder Glenn Kamara. They need to stop. Arsenal just need to stop. He's a good player. He's not Arsenal quality. He's not top four quality in the Premier League. Leeds are preparing another bid to sign Rangers winger Ryan Kent, but the Scottish club will also offer him a new deal. I think Leeds can do better. Now, the Times are reporting that the Glazers could be persuaded to sell United for $4 billion. I have seen other reports that say they have no intention of selling and they believe they can grow United into a £10 billion asset. So I don't see them selling at all. French club Nice remain interested in England midfielder Jesse Lingard. Uh, they should have gotten him on loan. Something fell through. He would make sense for them and I think he would do really well in France. They are loaded that they are owned by Britain's wealthiest man so it is possible I think he'll probably stay in the Premier League though uh, Leicester's pursuit of Atalanta and Germany fullback Ross, Robin Gosens has suffered a blow as the 26 year old would prefer to stay in Syria he's a really good player 
he'd make a lot of sense for Leicester. They could do it a left back. And if Rodgers is going to play a back three permanently, he's a great wing back. He is a brilliant wing back. Um, Newcastle are keen to get Fabian Schaar to sign a contract extension before the Euros. Makes sense. Solid defender. I think ideally you'd have him as your you know, third or fourth centre-back rather than a starter, but makes sense to keep him while you have him there. Boca Juniors are resigned to missing out on Manchester United and Uruguay striker Edinson Cavani and have lined up Club America's 26-year-old Roger Martinez as an alternative. I assume that means United are going to keep him. That's the plan. Uh, Tottenham have made an approach for Norwich and England fullback Max Ahrens. They do need a right-back, but centre-back should be a bigger priority for them. I'm also not sure that they're making approaches for anybody while they don't have a manager because what if your new manager doesn't want an attacking right-back? Doesn't make sense. Arsenal should be all over him, though. Leeds have made a new defensive midfielder their top priority this summer. I assume that's to have a backup for Calvin Phillips. Uh, This one was from Sky Italia and now looks very foolish. Maurizio Sarri remains Roma's preferred choice to replace Paolo Fonseca in the summer, despite the Serie A club club last talking to him in January. Turns out he he wasn't their favourite. Lucas Vasquez is close to renewing his deal with Real Madrid, but a move to AC Milan remains an option. Um, I assume he'll stay at, at Real while Zidane is there. I can't see why he'd leave. And that's it. That's the show. Thank you to Guy Drinkle. Thank you to Foxhorn. Thank you to you. It is hailstoning. Nobody seems to have told the weather that it's May. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.